Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Getting to do that is one of my favorite parts of being a pastor. Want to draw your attention to a couple of just announcements, things that are happening around here. And the first is this. We just recently made a new promotion, a new hire at Sam Alliance Church. I want to put a picture up here of the Ratzliff family. Many of you know Travis Ratzliff, but Travis has just been hired as our new pastor of nations and neighborhoods. So he'll be moving roles and transitioning into this new role. We are super excited about this. Travis has served internationally, and he has also served the last eight years in varying pastoral roles as our pastor of community groups, uh, pastor of men's ministry, many other different things as well. And so we are excited to welcome Travis. He will be on our pastoral management team, kind of the executive team that kind of leads Sam Alliance into the next season. Would you celebrate that with us today? Also, this past week, uh, our staff got to go on a staff retreat. We try to do that every year. We decided we were going to go up to Silver Falls on a beautiful early November day, and we were met by this. We'll put that picture up here. Boom, we got hit with some snow. Did you know it snowed this week in Oregon, which kind of caught us off guard? But our staff got to go up there. There was about 50 of us, and we were able to just spend a day away. Uh, We were able to just worship God in a different environment. We were able to just go over our staff culture and values, touch base with one another. We would spend some time in solitude and silence, but we also kind of led one another through some just discernment stuff, through some spiritual direction. We had an incredible day, and I just want you to know that we have just an incredible staff. I just, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, it's such a healthy crew and they all love the Lord so much and want to serve you in such ways. And so just wanted to share that we had the opportunity to do that and also let you know that our high schoolers aren't in the room today. Many of them are away at our high school retreat down at the coast. They're enjoying the storms. Uh, I've seen a lot of pictures coming in and they are having fun. They are not sleeping much. So those of you that are parents of high schoolers are going to come back this evening a little bit moody and that's okay. But hopefully they will come back having experienced a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit as they spend time there together. Would you join me? I just want to pray for that group as we uh, just bless them. So Jesus, I just thank you for our, our high school ministry. I thank you for all the students that are down there right now, Lord. I pray that even this morning that you would speak to them. Amidst the fun, amidst of the new friendships that are being formed, I pray that your voice would be loud in their ears that they would glorify you as they bring worship to you. And I just pray that you would bless our pastor Brandon, Lord, and the rest of our leaders and and worship team that are there. And I pray that you would bring them all home safely this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, we are continuing on in our series, Ezekiel. And today, 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 sigh of relief. We move from prophecies of judgment to prophecies of hope. Can I get an amen? Finally, we are there. We are today going to be looking at chapters 36 and 37. And if you came and you are feeling just a bit hopeless, a bit restless or lost, I just hope that you are blessed by what we get to look at today. Those of you that know your your word of God, you probably know that chapter 37 is probably the most famous passage in the book of Ezekiel. It is is the passage where we see this weird image, this, this vision of these dry bones coming to life. 
Before we get there, I just want to kind of set the stage for some of the things that we're going to see. The prophetic word of God, especially in these chapters, just a reminder, it is spoken to the people of Israel who are being held captive. They are in exile in Babylon. And this word that comes from God through Ezekiel to them is for them, for them in that time, in that place in history. And yet prophecy, as it often does, operates on multiple realms. And so as you will see in this prophetic word, that in the overall arc of scripture, this prophetic word is also for them and yet also pointing to the new covenant to the coming of Jesus and the, and, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. It's for them and it's for us. Also, it's important to know that because these people are in exile, they have heard Ezekiel prophesy difficult things, such as Israel or Jerusalem will be destroyed and so will the temple. See, many of the other prophets have stopped prophesying the difficult judgments, but Ezekiel has stayed true. And the thing is, now some of those are coming to fruition. And so Ezekiel has the ear of the people. He has become their prophet during this season of exile. He has street cred. They're paying attention to him. But you also have to understand that the the terrible news that their temple is gone has been received just a couple of months before the prophetic hope that we see released today. So you need to understand this context And so to this lifeless nation, to these people without hope that are stuck in Babylon, to this community that has lost their temple, the place where their God dwells, listen to what Ezekiel speaks to them as he reports what God has shared. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27. For I will gather you from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. That is good news. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. And you will be my people and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. To these desperate people comes a word of hope. As I studied these chapters, I I realized just how powerful this must have been. And we see here in this text, I I started to view this text through, through the words of the psalmist, who is this king of glory? I wanted to behold who God was and what was revealed of him in these texts. And here we see that he cares about the heart of his people, not just their behavior. He cares about their heart. He starts at that place, and and from their heart, their behavior will flow. Here we see that he restores not just their health, but also their homeland. And he declares to them, you are my people. You're still my people. You have broken covenant with me. You have rebelled, and yet I still call you my own. And these prophesied truths were good for them, and they are still true for us, the church today. But here in in this chapter, we also see kind of the motivation behind why God is pronouncing this hope, why he is going to restore his people. And fascinatingly enough, it doesn't just stem from his love. It's not his love that restores them. Ezekiel is one of the only prophets that kind of hint at this. But here we see that part of the motivation was simply to protect his name. 
to vindicate his reputation. You see, just this past week here in Oregon, we had two major companies that are housed in Beaverton and Portland. You might have heard of them, Adidas and Nike. And both of these massive organizations, these companies, have both had to do something similar this past week. They both had to take steps to protect their names, to protect and vindicate their reputation. Those of you that have been following the news, you know that Adidas had to cut ties with Kanye West because of things that he had been saying and tweeting publicly. That, they say, will cost them one to $2 billion in the next few years. That is a big choice to make, but they had to do it to protect their reputation. Nike just cut ties with Kyrie Irving, who also was saying some things that weren't sitting well with most of society. And so even though his new shoe was supposed to drop this Tuesday, it's not going to. And millions, hundreds of millions of dollars will be lost from Nike because they want to protect their reputation. What does that have to do with this text? Well, the people are saying, who is this king of glory? And to the surrounding nations, the people of Israel are this divided group. If this is more than just a local tribal deity, this Yahweh God, then where is he? Why is he not protecting his people? Half of them are in Assyria held captive. The other half are here in Babylon in exile. What is going on? Is this Yahweh incapable or unwilling to protect his own people? It seems at this point in history, he's not exactly revered. His credibility, his integrity, his sovereignty is being called into question. Not just by the Babylonians, but the other surrounding nations and by his own people themselves. Their behavior has disrespected his name. His holiness and power seem a bit diminished. And it's why he says in verse 23, I will prove my holiness. And it's what causes him to act. Because this covenant promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah, that this would be the priestly nation, that through this nation, all nations would know that Yahweh is not a local deity. He is the king of all creation and all people will. That is at risk right here. The witness, the plan to reach all is at risk People are saying, well, maybe it's not Yahweh. Maybe it's Marduk. He's protecting his Babylonians well. Who is this king of glory? The answer seems to be up for debate at this moment in history, much like it was up for debate when Jesus spent time in that grave. But friends, we know the story. We know the story that God speaks hope and vindicates his people. We know that through the power of God, Jesus Christ rises from the dead. But here, God does vindicate his reputation. He announces his power. He revives a people to declare that he is sovereign. He says to them, though you broke my covenant, I am a God of love and grace. And he keeps the line of David in place so that one day when he sends his son, King Jesus, people will be ready. Who is this king of glory? We must view this rescue, this prophecy of hope through this lens, first beholding the truth that he is faithful, zealous, Sovereign over all. He is a God of justice, king of all creation. Our hope is based in this truth. And so 
When the people of Israel, desperate as they are, hear the prophet Ezekiel speak these words in chapter 36, they realize that hope is theirs. And we see the main idea that I see in this passage, that hope declared for the future brings peace in the present. Hope declared for the future brings peace in the present. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Because I believe that imagery actually speaks louder than words, as we often see in the prophetic world, the prophecy is spoken. It's spoken out, and it's kind of clearly articulated, but God doesn't stop there. He also adds to chapter 36, chapter 37, and he says, I'm going to give you an intense vision, an image to cement my promise in your mind, kind of like he does with the rainbow for Noah and his descendants after the flood. And so God gives us intense intense vision that I want to read to you found in Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. While I read this to you, you're welcome to look it up on your app, in your Bible, but I have put a bunch of art together that I'm just going to scroll here for you. This art is by different, different artists, some of them, one of them, Richard Maccabee, another Abraham Ratner. You're going to see a fresca that was discovered in Syria that was created in 239 uh, A.D., And as these scroll across, let this reminder of the hope of God's revival, his breathing truth and his spirit into you set in. Ezekiel 37. The Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as a complete skeleton. Then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones, and all hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'll open your graves of exile and I will cause you to rise again. And then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. 
This is the word of the Lord. A message of hope. A message, a prophetic reminder for us. There's a reason the passage stands out among most other visions. A reminder to us that no matter where we are, he has the potential to revive us. He will one day come again and set things right. So to these people, the nation of Israel, lifeless, homeless, kingless, with no dwelling place where their God could come, where they could experience him, he speaks. Their external circumstances were as bad as it could be. They had hit rock bottom. They were spiritually alienated, but they were also physically, physically exiled. And some of you have been there. Some of you are there now. The words rock bottom, they mean something to you. Hopelessness is your descriptor. For some of you, homelessness is your reality. No protector is where you find yourself. There's a deadness in your soul. It's actually difficult to get out of bed in the morning, and you're saying, where is the joy? And you're here today searching. You're at home watching and asking the question, who is this king of glory? For you, that question might look like, God, why are you allowing me to walk through this season of pain? God, why do you not see my suffering? Where is your justice, O God? Have you forgotten me? And the good news of this promise is it's for you, that there is a renewal, a restoration, that you can receive his presence. And so for those of you that today come and you're sensing that you're at rock bottom, this message of hope is yours. But here's the deal. For the majority of us in the room, myself included, this is not where we find ourselves. Rock bottom is not our reality. We're actually comfortable and all is pretty good. Truth is, our own wisdom, our discernment, our our own resources have us in a pretty decent, protected, and comfortable place. I know that's true for me. And therefore, this message is actually for us. In fact, I would say it is more for us than for those that come into this room who are watching online today who are at rock bottom. Because the first thing I hear is an invitation here for us to recognize our helplessness. You see, the people of Israel, they were really slow to get to that point. They walked through spiritual alienation and God was trying to get their attention and they would not listen. So added to the spiritual alienation comes a physical exile to get their attention. You see, he wants all of us. He wants the full surrender. He wants our just true total reliance to be on him. And yet, Like the people of Israel, oftentimes that utter dependence, we're slow to get that that's what he desires. And so he has to take his chosen people, the people of Israel, to rock bottom, to being dead bones in the desert. I used to live in the deserts of the Middle East. We would hike in Wadi Rum, and oftentimes we would hike in these little valleys and just hike through the sand, and every now and then you would come across the remains of a goat or a sheep or sometimes even a camel, and my kids would run up, and they would grab some of the bones, and it wasn't disgusting because they were so dry. There was, it was just like so light and so dry. There was no hope for that. It was dead as could be. There was no marrow left in those bones. They were light. They were disintegrating. 
Those of you that have battled leukemia or or dealt with friends that have battled leukemia, you know that even just that picture is a powerful picture because it's the marrow. It's the marrow that our defenses, our immunity are born out of. And so when people are struggling with that, they're defenseless. And the people of Israel are here and they are defenseless, physically exiled, spiritually alienated, but they finally get it. Utter dependence. Anything they've ever had is from him. They are a gift of his hands. And so the first invitation is to recognize our helplessness. Regardless of our current realities, it is all a gift from him. When we take that posture, we realize that we are now able to be filled with his spirit. And this is what happens next. With that posture realized, we're able to embrace the promise of his presence, to embrace the promise of his presence. Please understand, this text, if we're going to be true to this text, this text isn't about the nation of Israel automatically getting just taken up in the air and returned back to a Jerusalem that gets restored. No, that's not what happens here. This is about them realizing that God sees them again and that his presence is with them even in exile. But it isn't a return immediately to the way things were. This is not a story that says, look, if God loves you, he'll take everything back to the way you want it to be. What we have here is a people that simply receive hope. Because this message, this prophecy is given in, they say, probably about 585 B.C., a couple of months after the temple is, dest- is destroyed. And these people now receive this hope. But it doesn't get realized. They don't return to Israel, to their homeland, until 539 when King Cyrus begins to deport them back. That's 46 years later. It's not a current change of reality or or external circumstance. The gift that people receive right here is presence, which allows them to experience hope. Hope declared for the future brings peace in the present. And his presence comes in the form of wind, of his spirit, of breath. In the original ruah, He is tabernacling among them. There is a new recognition that the king of glory sees us again. We'll be okay. His nearness is here, even in exile, even in our despair, even in our hopelessness, in the waiting. This concept of God breathing upon his people might take you back because the whole arc of scripture is represented here to the creation story when God breathes into the lifeless body of Adam. It might take you forward to post-resurrection where Jesus walks into the room and his disciples are there wondering what is going on. Jesus, what is going on? And he enters the room, it says in John 20, 22, and he breathes upon them. This breath of God should take you back to where portions of this prophetic word are fulfilled at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God blows in and the church, the great army, is filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Church chapters 36 and 37 release hope. And part of the hope that they release is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I was 16 years old and I was at the Jersey Shore and a group of high schoolers laid their hands on me and I experienced something I had never experienced before and my life was changed. But it doesn't stop there. For me, any time that I get a chance to receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I want to take it. 
Just eight or nine days ago, I was at a Deeper Life conference in Seattle, and I was doing one of the breakout sessions, but I got to attend the main sessions, and it was awesome. And after that first session on that first night, when they said, if you want to come up for prayer, even though I was supposed to be one of the people praying, I went first, and I got prayed for because I needed a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And church family, it's the invitation that we have today. And so if you are here today, and you're at rock bottom, or you're not even close but you know you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to invite you to stand because I would love to just bless you this morning. So if you would, just stand. I'd love to pray over you. The worship team's gonna come out here in just a second. I had more to say, but I think I'm just gonna stop here because I think this is what this is about today. So Spirit of the living God, King of glory, God of breath, You promise new life to your people in exile by breathing into a full valley of dry bones, and we ask you to do it again. Would you breathe new life into us so that we can live passionately for you? Would you come and rest on us? And so I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I pray that they would have an experience with you today, that your wind would blow in, that those that are not experiencing joy would experience joy unspeakable. Lord, that those that are not experiencing rest would experience rest. That those that are struggling to live for you and they're trying to do so on their own, Lord, would experience your spirit as the one who empowers for holy living. That new self-control would just come naturally. That everything they do would just feel as worship because your spirit is testifying to their spirit. For the souls that are deadened in this room, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them. That you would just fall upon them with fresh visions of you. That they would see your face. That they would have dreams that they would rest, that they would wake up refreshed. And Spirit, I pray that you would pour out new gifts because we want to be a church on mission, empowered by you. So come and grant people words of healing. Grant people words of knowledge and discernment and the prophetic, Lord. Would you grant those who have a gift of shepherding just the ability to listen and love their neighbor well? Jesus, we declare that you are a good God and We want to experience your spirit in fresh ways. And so we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.